0: want you all to raise your hand this morning if you are still friends with the person who was your best friend in elementary school. JB, still are. Judy, really? Raise your hand again. I want to see them. I honestly didn't think there would be that many. <laughs> raise your hand if you didn't have any friends. <laughs> I had three best friends growing up, Andrew, Ryan, and Zach. We all lived in the same neighborhood. Andrew, I think I've told y'all this, Andrew lived one block away, Ryan lived two blocks away, and Zach lived three blocks away. I mean, it was all American. We all lived two blocks away, somehow, geographically how it was possible. We all lived the same distance away from our elementary school, we walked to school together. We took, walked from school back home. We'd hang out at each other's houses. Our moms would do things Andrew, Zach, and Ryan's dad all worked at the same place. I mean, you talk about, like, small town USA. My mom, I mean, it's just everybody in that community, it's how most American towns are. My mom went to elementary school, middle school, high school, and college, all within a mile radius. Um... It was a small town, and I had three best friends who I could just walk over their house any time of the day, and I did. Sadly, I'm not close friends with Ryan, Zach, or Andrew today. Um, We're Facebook friends, if that counts for something. I don't think it counts for much. By the time you have kids, you're blessed. You are really blessed if you have one or two friends good friends, legitimate friends, amen? You're not gonna have many. If somebody's like 50 years old says they got a ton of friends, I'm like, I'm gonna see them. I don't believe you. Friendship is one of life's most precious gifts. It's something we all long for. It's something that not a lot of people truly experience, I'm convinced. It's something that we desire in our hearts to have and lo and behold, incredibly, it's something that God desires to have with us. And not in like a cheesy Hallmark way. It's God desires to be our friends for us to know ourselves, for us to know him. Because he perfectly knows us. Think about how remarkable this statement is. Go ahead and put that up there. God wants to be friends with idolaters. God wants to be friends with idolaters. Before we read our text this morning, I actually want to read four verses from 2 Timothy chapter 3. First four verses. I want to read these real quick. But as we read them, don't read them yet. As we read them, I want you to take note of how many times Paul mentions love. All right? You ready? But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Five times in four verses, Paul boils down the human problem, dare I say he just described America, with love. When Paul describes the state of the world, it boils down to love. We love ourselves, we love money, we do not love what is good, we love pleasure, therefore we do not love God. That's the human condition if God leaves us to ourselves, And friends, that is exactly the reason that Jesus came. Those are the people Jesus came after. Jesus wants to be friends with those people. And as we're going to find out this morning, that's exactly why he chose us and not the other way around. We were too busy loving everything else but him. We didn't want to be friends with God. We didn't desire God. I think 2 Timothy 3 makes that very apparent. The doctrine of predestination, we don't like to talk about it often because we don't really understand all of it, and we're going to have a lot of questions in heaven that are going to be answered. But what we do know is this. Predestination hinges on the fact that we loved ourselves and not God. We were unable and unwilling to come to Him, therefore He came to us. So God sent His Son, and before He sent Him, He said, Go find my friends. And Jesus found them. In our passage this morning, He's going to say, No, 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 hold on. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I think I need to be reminded of that sometimes so if you be so careful as to turn to john chapter 15 verses 12 through 17 john chapter 15 verses 12 through 17 and once you've found it you'd stand for the reading of god's word that you, you should go and bear fruit and, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Father, we didn't come after you. You came after us. You sent Jesus and he called his church. What grace that is. What unimaginable mercy that the lovers of pleasure and lovers of self and lovers of money and haters of God, you came after and you wanted to be our friends. Father, that's amazing grace. Father, show us the nature of friendship this morning and what it means when Jesus says, I have called you friends. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name, amen. During the Enlightenment and right around the time of the American Revolution, there was a particular religion, I would call it a philosophy going around, called deism. <laughs> uh, might have it, maybe not, no, 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 maybe, should, no, okay, later. Deism, I'm just gonna, actually, let's go back. Should have. There it is. Deism, coming from Dei, which is Latin for God, deism is the belief in a wise, supreme, creator God who does not intervene in the universe he's created. Now, that sounds a lot like Christianity to me. It's not. It really, really took off right around the time of the New Republic. In fact, I would say that in many ways, America would not be here today as it is unless it was fashioned by many deists. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. Benjamin Franklin was a deist. John Adams flirted with deism and Unitarianism, kind of waffled back and forth. It's often been called the clockmaker theory. You wind up the clock, you make the clock, and then you stick it up on the wall, and you don't touch it again. That's what deists believe God did with the world. Therefore, deists rejected all supernatural activity and intervention in the world. They rejected miracles, the idea of divine providence. They rejected the fact that God spoke to the world in the Bible because God made the world and He walked away. He created it and fashioned it in a very wise way. He made natural laws. He made gravity. He made logic and reason. And then He left it on the wall and let it spin. I want to back up for a second. I want to make sure everybody understands what I'm saying. Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin were not Christians, and this country was not founded as a Christian nation. I want to get that off right now. Please don't ever say that. It means you don't know history at all. These men, Benjamin Franklin, who was raised by Puritans, mocked Christians. He was was an extraordinary man, and I'm glad that he was on the earth when things happened. Thomas Jefferson cut up the Bible and made his own. Deism appealed greatly to many of our founding fathers because it was hinged on two things. The world had to come from somewhere, so apparently there's a God. And two, we know that there is a God... And we know that virtue and ethics and morality is good. Therefore, it must be that God wants us to live virtuous lives. Therefore, the highest attainment that we can have in this life is to be virtuous people. And God rewards virtue. Therefore, if we live ethical lives and we exercise virtue in this life, we will be rewarded in whatever comes next. That's what deists believe. No need for a Savior. No need for the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be born again. There's no need for a Bible. Just be a virtuous person, and the Creator will reward you. That's deism. Many people today are practical deists. In fact, in 2005... A couple sociologists concluded that American religion today, if you had to call it something, it would be called moralistic therapeutic deism. People may claim to be Christians, but all they really believe is that there is a God, and if they're a good person, God will reward them. You know what's wrong with that? Everyone thinks they're a good person. (laughs) That is not the triune God of the Bible. God's desire is not simply that we would be virtuous people. Stop for a second think for think with your heads what is the one thing what's well many things what's the first thing that deists get wrong what's the first thing they get wrong sin we can't lead virtuous lives because we're depraved and we need god to intervene because we are not good people we need him to reveal himself in the scriptures because we're blind We need a Savior to pay our debt because we're guilty. We need Holy Spirit to give us new life because we're dead in our sins. If God stuck the world up on a wall like a clock and walked away, then we're all going to hell. It's a shame that many of our founding fathers did not believe that. George Washington was an Episcopalian, so I think he might have been good there. No Baptist, though. I want to make sure you know that. Continental, Convent- Continental Congress, Constitutional Convention, 1787, no Baptists. In our text this morning, we see that God is not only a supreme creator. Don't miss it. The God of the universe wants to come down and be friends with idolaters. He wants us to know him. He wants to save us. He wants to change us. And he was willing to send his only son to die in our place. How deep the Father's love. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Unless you understand that people are utterly depraved apart from the grace of God, you will miss how remarkable that verse is. Greater love, he says. Jesus is like, whatever love you find on this earth, there is none more perfect, none more powerful, none more pure than the one you see on the cross. A holy God wants to die for unholy people. The judge wants to die for the criminals. And so when you think of God's love, the first thing God wants you to think about is the cross of Calvary. Because if that's not what people are thinking about when they think about God's love, they're not seeing the greater love. The friendship between God and man that exists, it cost God something. It cost him the most important person he had, his son. And the cross is the basis of our friendship with God. He washed us in his blood, he cleaned us up, he made us right with God. Unless we remember that the cross is the basis of our friendship with God, we will generally start to think that God wanted to be be friends with us because of how awesome we are. But in fact, the opposite is true. God wants to be friends with us because of how awesome he is. In this world, the reason that so many friendships fail is because we start to want people to sacrifice things for us. Meanwhile, we don't want to sacrifice things for other people. We don't want to spend time. We don't want to give up what's most valuable to us. We want our life and our routine and our schedule, and then we want to add friendships on top of it. Meanwhile, our lives don't change, and yet we wonder why friendships don't work out. Friendships... Good friendships, you sacrifice something. If you're not sacrificing something and if, if, if friendships don't cost you something, it's built on convenience. That's the reason so many people fall away from God because they treated Jesus like he was just another convenient relationship for them. Our friendship with God is not one of convenience. In fact, it took the biggest inconvenience for God to take flesh and die for us. He sacrificed something, and it happened to be the most precious thing to him, his son. Now, verse 14 makes it sound as if friendship with God is conditional on our doing things. Here's verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. (laughs) That doesn't sound very grace-filled. Can we be honest for a second? I thought good friendships are unconditional. Now it's saying, I mean, good friendships don't put conditions on love. But as we read, we learn that our obedience isn't the basis of our friendship with God. That's called deism. Our obedience is the fruit of our relationship with God that he has forged for. Let's read verse 15 and 16. So servants don't become God's friends by obeying him. Servants become God's friends by God choosing what friends he wants. And the ones God chooses bear fruit. Jesus said, you do not choose me, I chose you. In the Bible, you don't get any clearer than that when it comes to grace. Jesus wants us to know that ultimately, God chooses his own friends. The lovers of pleasure, the lovers of self, the lovers of money. He elects a chosen people. He says, these are the people that believe in my son Jesus and the gospel. He's going to die in their place, and they're going to be gathered, and they're going to be called the church of God. This morning, I want to stand before you and confess that I, Abhi Todd, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, that was my decision. That was my free decision. That was my choice. But you better believe before the foundations of the earth, God looked, and what he saw was a depraved Abi. so he decided to choose me and said, that one will believe in my son Jesus, and he will be my friend. He put my feet upon the rock. I didn't put my feet on the rock. God put my feet on the rock. Today there are countless churches full of people with the same skin color, the same social class, the same preferences for worship, the same age, the same friends, but friends, do not miss this. The church is not a group of friends that you choose. The group the church is a group of friends that God chose for you. How dare we treat fellow Christians like strangers? If God chose a sinner to be his friend, who are you to say no thanks? If God shed his blood for that friend, how could you ignore them? God wants the church, listen to me now, God wants the church to be multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multi-demographic, multi-career, because he wants the world to see that he chose them, not us. If someone comes to Haines Creek and saw a bunch, you know, if someone came to Haines Creek this morning, they go, okay, you got black, white, blue collar, white collar, I got trucks in the parking lot, I've got beamers. Man, y'all are a really weird bunch. What's your thing? If somebody came and asked that, you'd go, these are the people that God chose. The reason that the church, most of the churches, local churches, look the same and are gathered with people who are the same, sometimes, because the people that live in the area are just the same. Sometimes it's because we don't want the people that God chose. We want to choose our own friends. The father chooses his friends. Therefore, his friends choose the son and his spirit bears fruit in his friends. There's the gospel right there. If your gospel looks anything other than that, you've concocted man-made religion. See, right here. I think most people want to get rid of that one. Starts here. No, no, no. It started before you were born when you were chosen. Well, I mean, that's a little... I thought about about my free will. Well, you got good free will. What would you use your free will with? You used it to deny God. The point is not to deter evangelism this should cause us to preach the gospel even more it's not our job to choose his church he does that our job is to preach the gospel our job is to go out and see who God has brought in the harvest he has and when they come to us when they come through the door when they're baptized when they believe in Jesus Christ we go, I guess God did a mighty work in him (laughs) that's the gospel we don't claim anything In the heart of a believer, that's God's work. But we preach the saving gospel, and we let God do the heavy lifting. Last week in verses 8 and 9, Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you Abide in my love. So that means friendship with God is not quid pro quo. Friendship with God is God loved you first. God sought you first. God came after you first. God chose you first. And now we believe and obey him and we pursue him and we call that friendship with God. I want to I tell you all this morning, sometimes I have been a very lousy friend in this life. There have been times where I fostered a little friendship and I I just let it go by the wayside because I found more important things to do. I got busy. And that friendship wasn't as important to me and it became inconvenient to me and so it went by the wayside and I just found other things to do and I found other friends. I am so glad that God never treated me like that. I'm so glad God never decided to change his mind and make me a stranger again. I'm so glad that God never got tired of me. He never got too busy for me. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, David says. God wants to be friends with idolaters, and I'm going to tell you all this morning, we better get two things straight. You did not choose God, you were an idolater and a lover of self, but he chose you and appointed you that you might abide in fruit. I don't know about y'all, I need that every single day. And the reason I need that when I wake up in the morning every single day is because I'm going, God, I'm your friend by your grace, and I know I'm going to remain your friend by your grace because I didn't choose you. You chose me. You came after me. You pursued me. You elected me. God's election doesn't make lazy Christians. It makes grace-filled Christians. The fruit that bubbles up in me is from God's grace. Consider this morning that perhaps many of us have traded Christianity for deism. Consider this morning that perhaps many American Christians aren't really walking in grace so much as they're just moralistic, therapeutic deists. Is that us? Or are we walking in the knowledge that, like the disciples, I didn't choose him, he chose me. That's called walking in grace. And it doesn't take away from human moral Christian responsibility. It encourages it because how dare we claim the grace of God and not live every single day with the zeal of the Lord? That's how Christianity works. We don't use our grace to condescend to other people, we use God's grace to belittle ourselves in our own eyes and to serve the weak and the poor and the marginalized. That's fruit, that's love. Are you walking in that grace this morning? Let's pray. Father, you've called us out of darkness. As Paul says, to a holy calling. We have a holy calling. And the aim of our charge is love, which proceeds from a sincere heart. And faith. Father, let us abide in Jesus. But Father, don't let us abide in Jesus for a second, thinking that we contributed or sought after him when it was him who sought after us. That is absolutely vital to understand the sovereign grace of Jesus in the gospel. And Father, if we have that, Father, I ask that the power of the Holy Spirit point us back constantly to the gospel that saves. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen.